All right, so I'm here with Troy Nixie, artist, comic book artist, filmmaker, director. How you doing, Troy? I'm very well, Chris, and yourself? I'm doing excellent. I've been so excited to record this conversation, so thank you so much for uh, coming on the show. It's just very humbling, and I appreciate your time. It's it's fantastic. Oh, you bet. If I sound a little stuffy, it's because we got hit by a really bad flu here in, in, in my neck of the woods, so I'm, st- I'm not quite there yet, but mostly over the hill, but I do, I do uh, sound a little stuffy as a result of it. I see. Do you are you, you still reside in in Alberta or Saskatchewan? Yeah, or? yeah, Alberta. We're in Alberta now. I lived in Vancouver for almost twenty years, and uh, we moved out to Calgary uh, about a year and a half ago now. So, okay. and we love it out here. It's fantastic. Great, great comic community here. Are you a Flames fan? A Leafs well, it's fan? Funny. A oh. <laughs> Definitely not a Leafs fan, but <laughs> I, I was born in Alberta, so I did grow up uh, a Flames fan back in back in the, the 80s. So uh, um, if, okay. if my allegiance li- uh, leans anywhere, it's definitely definitely to the Flames. Well, I'm an LA Kings fan from from birth, so uh, oh guys, really? Oh you wow! Guys seem to have our number every time we, uh, you know, <laughs> except for 12 and 14. Where, but uh, oh my gosh, you guys are like you guys are Kings killers. The Flames are. So you were cheering for the you were cheering for the Kings back in the ugly uniform days then. Yes, the the royal quote unquote royal blue days, purple. Yeah, uh, <laughs> had no choice. It was the family you know lineage. I, we had, uh, I had to. There's no choice. <laughs> but uh, so you guys are experiencing. I'm I'm sure about negative thirty degrees out there now. That's probably why. No, you it's know. it's actually really nice here today. It was above zero Celsius. I think it was three <laughs> or four Celsius. So we're actually in this really great spot in the province where uh, we get what you call Chinooks, which are which is these warm winds that come in through the mountains and so our our temperatures can change from day to day like 20 to 30 degrees it can just have this crazy swing in temperatures so it's uh it's positive it's in the positives today so it was really melting so lots of uh lots of uh muck on the roads and stuff but it's uh and it's always really sunny here it's another reason we really love it it's just the sun it's just you can't beat it vancouver i never got used to uh the gray and the rain and the nearly 20 years i lived there i just couldn't handle it anymore so gloomy yeah I, I think we should vote for just uniform weather control. Just that's where we <laughs> government should spend all their money in that. I don't like thirty degree swings. I just I just want it to be a nice one temperature everywhere, inside and out, all the time. Wouldn't that be nice? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> let's put our let's come on science. Let's figure that out. <laughs> well, man, I got to tell you, I uh, I quickly gravitated to your art back in the day, back in your DC work. Is where I found you. Uh, okay. I remember you doing Harley Quinn for a minute. <laughs> well, I, I inked I inked a whole bunch of issues over uh, Mike Huddleston. He was drawing it at the time, and um, he's a really good buddy of mine. So that was that was a lot of fun to work with someone who uh, you know I was that close with in terms of friendship. So uh, and he had a really clean style especially at that time he was drawing this sort of very clean style so it's actually a lot of fun to go in there and and um, just ink for a while and not have to worry about penciling and and writing and uh and all that so yeah it was it was that was a lot of fun that's cool give you a chance to learn the business as well like going back uh some of your first work then was like dead world was that late 80s no, that was early '90s. So I started off. I graduated high school in 1990, and I think my first professional job 
was either 91 or 92, I think, around there anyway. And okay. that was for a Fantagraphics imprint called Monster Comics. And that was a three-issue miniseries that I did that is not good. It's really, really <laughs> bad. Um, and, yeah, but, I, I mean, I, I, I gained a lot of, of, of knowledge just back then in, in terms of, of just drawing every day and uh, getting better. And, yeah, and I kicked around. I did <clears throat> some work for Slave Labor Graphics and did a book called Bill the Clown there. We did a few issues of that. And, and then um, Gary Reed really liked my work and so yeah i started doing some dead world stuff which was which was fun it was really interesting they sort of relaunched it and um so i penciled a number of issues of that so yeah i was looking at your work there and in just comparison to where you are now and man it's just such an evolution right like you've your style's just completely changed uh, but there's still there's still you there you know it doesn't just where i it's not recognizable like oh yeah there's troy like it's happening right here. I was looking at it today. <laughs> it is funny to look back on this because I mean, I'll be honest with you. I'm not trying to, you know, beat myself up or anything. I'm just being very honest about about my level of ability and and um, I, I didn't really know what I was doing back then. I was <laughs> really, really just. And I mean, I'm still figuring stuff out now, but but back then I really had no idea what I was doing. I was I had a lot of enthusiasm and I worked really hard and I I think that 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 was what you were seeing, but I didn't have a lot of skill yet and a lot of knowledge about how to approach storytelling and and that kind of thing. So that kind of came later in the game as I worked my way through much like everyone, you know, you you learn as you go. So what but that stuff—that stuff back then was—I look—I look at it now and it's like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> but do you think? Do you do you hearken back to the joy that it it you know gave you then when you were doing that early work? Do you oh, absolutely! Yeah, absolutely. It's funny because um, movies were sort of always present in my life. Like I didn't actually find comics. And, and uh, you know, unlike most comic creators who just sort of grew up with comics, um, they were sort of there, but I didn't really find them until um, I think I was in grade six or grade seven. I didn't know that comic stores existed until until I was a little older. And then and then all bets were off. And then I was reading comics voraciously. But I mean, I certainly grew up with Mad Magazine and and um, I used to voraciously watch looney tunes cartoons like i loved cartoons and um watched movies even as a young kid i just i just loved movies when i was little and <clears throat> you know i remember seeing star wars in the theater you know in 77 i was five yes. but i still i still remember seeing it there and just it just completely blowing my mind in terms of what a story could be like what could exist like i just had no idea that something like that could even be a thing and yeah. that you and really are, you and i are months apart in age and oh, are we? oh just okay. a, like 87 percent of what you just talked about and experienced I, I i in i experienced it in the exact same time frame and almost exactly the same content looney tunes bugs bunny that was all oh, me yeah. uh, i gravitated to bruce lee at a very young age and godzilla so those two things were were for me as well, but yes, I I saw Star Wars in the theater when I was five, and it did leave that that impression upon me. Can you speak specifically about horror? Like, where were your early influences? What really, you know, a lot of your stuff. Uh, I know you're multi-genreal, but uh, what specifically in the horror realm? What uh, at a young age? What what 
snapped you? What was that click that happened when it came to, to horror? Because I, 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 I really, and I mean this in the highest of regard, I'm not the biggest horror fan, and your stuff uh, visually is so appealing, and your movie looks fantastic, which we'll get into in a second, but what was the, what was the finger snap into the realm of horror for you when you were young? It's, it's strange because <laughs> it's, I don't really know what it is. And it's funny because I look at my work and there's there's obviously horror in what I do. Like I love drawing monsters. I love drawing really weird stuff. But I don't really consider my work horror. I consider it sort of fantasy, sci-fi with horror elements. And I don't really know if there was sort of – like I never had a moment – um in horror like i had for instance like with star wars we were just talking about like i never had that oh my god moment um i know that there's a lot of comparisons um like people like to throw around lovecraft a lot because i like to draw tentacled monsters and to be honest with you (laughs) i've never actually read any lovecraft (laughs) you know i'm not i'm not steeped in love and Lovecraft lore and I mean what I do love is I love nature I love octopuses and I think that's where my love of tentacles comes from is my love of octopuses and <laughs> and then sort of folding that into uh you know really creepy weird creatures that I draw and <clears throat> it's it's funny because what really drew me to the movie and not to jump ahead or anything was what one monsters which I you know was immediately like yes monsters but two um I really love loved the story of Bailey's character, the little girl in the movie. And I saw it more as like kind of a dark fantasy film when I read it. And, and you know, and that's sort of what my thinking was as I, as I worked on the movie rather than as like a horror movie. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I, I don't really search out things um that to make me feel uncomfortable or strange or, you know, to get that uneasy feeling or, or scared. I don't really search that out. And I don't watch a lot of horror movies. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's strange, but I mean, I, obviously I see it in my work, but I'm, uh, there's, there are people who I know, friends of mine who are far more steeped in, in horror and their love of, of what that, you know what that genre is I mean, that's the thing too is that horror has like a really broad um scope of what it can be um yeah. you know horror these days really seems to be connected more to gross bloody that kind of thing mm-hmm. that doesn't really um that doesn't really do anything for me i do yeah. appreciate the psychological aspect of horror for sure I love that buildup of of tension and then you know releasing and, and that tension and of course I say this as I draw I you know I just drew a comic with a monster eating people and stuff like that <laughs> but, but you know I, I this is what I was this is what I was talking this is what I was talking I was talking a little while ago a couple of weeks ago about this that you know and I I try to stay away from reviews I don't read a ton of reviews but you know you you poke around a little bit and and people talking about how creepy and weird and strange vinegar teeth is and to me I just think it's really funny oh, like I just think it's I find so it totally absurd funny. like it's just yeah but there's people who don't <laughs> like they're just really put off by it and that's totally fine like I I I kind of appreciate the polarizing aspect of my work in terms of, 
you know, you either love it or you hate it. I, I, I'm never a big fan of people who are just like, eh, it was okay. That's the worst reaction. <laughs> right. The meh. The meh. Yeah. Well, yeah, go, that's, that's for all you point. listeners, go back to a few podcasts to my review of Vinegar Teeth, issue number one from Dark Horse that Troy uh, co-created and, and did his art on. It's gorgeous. And uh, it's it's uh, one funny I, – I agree with you in the funny aspect. One little goofy thing I found funny about Vinegar Teeth is just that sort of no no one really acknowledges what Vinegar Teeth is. Like he's just sort of very – kind of flows through the world and everyone just you know nobody stops and go what's what the hell is that you know they they just yeah. sort of accept it and then uh and then the lettering style comes off as just hilarious to me in some of the moments like when uh the main uh his partner vinegar's teeth his partner is just saying bullshit over and over and over and over again and the, yeah. the way the lettering is done there Fantastic stuff, but I won't re-review it. But go back. <laughs> but please, <laughs> listeners, go back and listen a few to me. It was a top pick of the week, uh, Vinegar Teeth, uh, that that Troy so lovingly did. But um, well, your art style, if I can, right where we're in this in the, in the middle of this, as mm-hmm. pops into my head, uh, is very unique. I put you into some rarefied air category, my friend, um, with some of my favorite artists that I love right now, like Mike Mignola, Eric Powell, mm-hmm. David Rubin, and you yourself. Like, where did you find that? What were some of your influences? How did you find your own artistic voice? Well, Mike is definitely one of them. Like, there's Mike to me is is on the Mount Mount Rushmore of comics, and um, and I unabashedly yeah. tell him so. You know, I was uh, he knows my feelings of of, of of his work and what he does, and and it was interesting because trying to really develop. Um, how I approached drawing things really just came, it, it came sort of, it, it came naturally after a while. Uh, I, I really was trying to be looser in what I did and, 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 and add a, a sort of a sense of, of humor and, and, uh, absurd, um, a level of absurdity in, in, in my work. And it's just one of those things that really developed. And, uh, you know, a few years ago, I just, I sort of gave my, I know it sounds ridiculous, but I gave myself permission to just draw what I really wanted to draw. And it all just sort of flowed from there. Or it's like, like I always set my stories in, you know, in a world that, feels antiquated but not historical in that you can just pinpoint uh, a time in history where it takes place you know i sort of grab things from here and there and just to sort of make it its own unique world and and i am influenced by a lot of what the europeans do and how they approach their books and and you know i'm certainly not going to throw any north american artists under the bus because there's so many that are absolutely mm-hmm. brilliant but what i what really attracts me to european comics because once again one of the comics i grew up re- re- reading was tintin so i'd get a tin like my mom would take us to the library once a week and and i was allowed to take out one tintin book and one asterix book and then i had to take out like a, a, a novel of you know a young reader's novel to read as well and but what i loved about herge was that his environments were just as important as the characters right and that all work really (laughs) yes absolutely and that always that always stuck stuck with me and so i try to do the same i try to create an environment that really 
feels lived in by the characters that I'm, you know, I'm creating and writing and or co-writing and, and, uh, and that exist in this place. And so everything is really organic. Like there's, there's really no straight lines in any of my work. <laughs> yeah. I love and, that. Uh, yeah. And, and like Mike was a massive influence when Hellboy started coming out. Like I, I liked his work before, but then Hellboy started coming out and it was, it just blew my mind again. It was like another, like another star Wars moment. I was like, wow, like you can do this kind of thing in comics. Right. And I saw, you know, always sort of following his work and as he sort of stripped down what he did and, and seeing his work where it it is so organic as well. And so there was sort of wasn't really one moment where I like made this conscious decision to start doing things one way. I think it was just an amalgamation of, of what I was taking in just for inspiration, but it wasn't really sort of one artist or a couple artists that was looking at to sort of go, okay, this is what I want to do. Um, but it just, yeah, all sort of just started to form as a result of this stuff that I was taking in and, and drawing the stuff that I really wanted to draw and, and, uh, and going from there. So that's cool. You found your, you found your, your duck in water, you know, I, I did. Just, yeah. Uh... <laughs> and, and it's funny because like, I'm like now I'm at a point and I feel very fortunate that, um, I'm in a space of my career a time in my career and it might not last like it might change but where i am allowed to do the projects that i want to do and draw basically exactly what i want to draw and so i think that comes out in the work too because i was waking up every day to draw vinegar teeth and i was excited to go to work i was just i was so happy to be working on that project and i think that that does that is reflected in the work i think that you can look at a book and and you can tell if a creator is really into what they're doing or not, you know. And and I think that with Vinegar Teeth, that you can really see that Damon and I had an absolute blast doing that book. Yeah, you can tell your love, your blood, your sweat, and your tears are all in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, so that, I, that I, was the thing. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Question for you too. Uh, going back just a smidge. I have uh, friends, family members, even uh, uh, some some very close relatives that are aspiring artists, and 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 a few of them are trying to get into comics. What was a, a what was the largest contributing factor to your break? Which sounds you you glossed over and went over it kind of quickly, and you met a person. But what do you think really led you to that and made it work to just start working in comics? You know that very beginning. Well. I- just tenacity. I, I, I really like, you know, I mentioned um, loving movies very early on. I, I graduated from high school in 19, 1990 in Saskatchewan. And the first thought was to go to film school. But at that time, there really wasn't an option for us. I mean, you know, we weren't poor, we we're very middle class. But really, you know, going to California was sort of the only thing we could find. And that just really wasn't uh, you know, that wasn't really an option. And so comics was, I don't want to say it was the next best thing, but it just made sense because it's like, well, I want to tell stories. I draw <laughs> comics, you know, and, and I was still like, I was a full on, you know, crazy, crazy comic reader at that time. I was reading comics, just boxes, long boxes after long boxes of comics. And so it made sense. And so I threw myself in 
with as much passion as I would have, you know, had I gone to film school and, and it, it just started to work. But at that time it, it wasn't, you know, there really wasn't, there was no internet. It wasn't like you could just send yourself in via email. Um, I did some sample pages and I literally got photocopies and I wrote a cover letter and that was back when amazing heroes was being published and they published all the, the addresses of all the publishers in the back. And I just sent packages out to all the publishers and probably sent out 25 or 30 packages and heard back from five or six and, and uh, <clears throat> you know, some of them were just polite no's, but there was a couple that, that liked what I did, and it just sort of started rolling from there. So Nice. That's great. Tenacity, folks. Did you hear that? <laughs> you got to want it. But, and, and I, yeah, and I just drew all the time, and I still do. But like back then, maybe not quite as much as back then. Like I just drew constantly. I just day and night, day after day after day. And I was very fortunate that my parents were very supportive in my pursuits. And because I, I didn't go to university and their whole thing was like, you know, if you go to university, we'll pay for it. And me choosing to not go to university, they said, well, you know, we'll, we'll support you for a few years while you try and get your comic career going. So I was really lucky. I was really lucky that. That's nice or supportive and, and gave you a kind of a, you know, like it sounds like you got sort of a yeah. deadline. They're like, look, this is fun and great. Um, got to make some money with it in a few years. Oh, really? or... it, wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't even that. It was, no. it was just like because they were just in terms of like, oh, you go to university for three or four years or whatever. But it was just like if this is what you want to do, we'll support you. Like there was never That's I cool. never had any kind of, yeah, ticking clock or anything with them. They, and it also, I think, helped that I I – received some positive feedback after my initial bout of sending things out so it wasn't like i was getting shot down all over the place and it was like well is he actually capable of doing this yes some of some i was getting shot down but but they're also very encouraging and then like i said i did get some positive feedback so nice. it was a nice growing experience at that time and i was not making a lot of money then but <clears throat> i was learning and and that's what was important and important and i was getting published which is what you want so yeah. of your early work going back what what are you most most proud of there like what do you look back on and just go wow that was i was you know i was hitting my stride there you know what in your early work what are you most proud of well i I think that what really struck out stands out for me and thankfully and I'm going to be revisiting this character soon too and it was when I really started to find my own voice was when I did Trout for Dark Horse so that was sort of my first Dark Horse work and it appeared in Dark Horse Presents back in its original run on and Bob Shrek, <clears throat> who is amazing, one of my favorite editors ever, uh, really helped shape what I was doing at that time and steer it in a really positive direction. And it's interesting because Trout actually deals with some not so great aspects of my youth, and I didn't know that at the time, but that was sort of me working through it. But uh, yeah, it really started to show this fantastical world with these sort of crazy characters and really kind of scary, creepy uh, characters as well and sort of mixing them together and trying to find a sense of humor along with the, the scary, not-so-comfortable moments in, in my stories. And I think that's what really 
pushed me in the direction of, of where I am now and where I wanted to go. Nice. I love, love, love Batman. Your series that you did, uh, the doom that came to Gotham with Mike Mignola. That to me was, is just amazing. Uh, what are, how did you land that? And what are your thoughts on it now? Looking back upon it. Well, it's it's fun because it, they DC thankfully uh, put it back in print a couple of years ago. Now they they put it out in trade because it hadn't been available for I think almost seventeen years or something. And so it happened as a result of Jenny Finn because Mike and I had done Jenny Finn first, and I can't remember exactly how it worked. Where it was pitched by another creator, and I think it was a timing issue where he then couldn't draw it, but Mike had had been brought on board to write it um, based off the pitch and because of, of my experience with Mike uh, on Jenny Finn and, and the fact that the doom that came to Gotham was kind of a weird, strange monstery type version of Batman and that it took place in a, you know, in a bygone era. And uh, so DC felt like it was a bit of a natural fit for me. I still had to audition for it. I had to do a couple of uh, sample pages and um, which was fun to do because it's like the first time I had ever drawn on Batman. <laughs> wow. And uh, um, you know, since I was a kid, I drew some, some, drawings of batman when i was a kid but yeah and so that was really fun and it was i think it's the only time no it's not it's the second time in my career where i haven't inked my own work uh so that was interesting to see someone else come on and uh and ink ink my pages but uh i still really like it it was a really fun project i love working with mike mike is really great he's really collaborative and um there's just some really wacky stuff in that in that book as well just you know it's all these different robins and he's sort of a doc savage meets batman like he's got a he's got gone and and um yeah, and it was neat to sort of do monstery, more monstery, sort of ethereal, weird, creepy versions of, of the, uh, of the, you know, the Batman villains. A lot of your work is seems to have that, uh, that which is the setting in the Doom that came to Gotham, that, that uh, the twenties realm, you know, around the Great Depression. Like, what's the reason you gravitate to that? It seems like that's not the only example, right? You've, you love to live in that era. I mean, even from, you know, from the movie, it seems like it has that ode to that, that era of time as well uh don't be afraid of the dark by the way is the movie you got to go check it out um but uh mm-hmm. what what made you gravitate to the the, the you know the around the depression era well and i always sort of borrow from i would say it's like late 1800s to the 1940s that's uh-huh. sort of and i'll and i'll move i'll sort of move the uh, the bar you know from from those from that from that timeline and depending on and like i said i'll poach from from all over the place but it's just I really love the aesthetic of that time. I love that people, like everyone wore hats, everyone wore suits. Mm-hmm. I love the I love the vehicles. I just I just love everything about that. And I I've thought about this and thought about it, and there's nothing from you know that those sort of important years growing up that I can pinpoint to that really made me latch on to that. For whatever reason, I just love that aesthetic. And, you know, I love old machinery. And, and that might actually come because my grandpa was a mechanic. And so it, it might 
there you go. begin from that. I don't know. But yeah, like it, it's just really interesting to me that I just gravitate towards it. Like I have – I don't have a lot of interest in drawing modern day settings. And it yeah. might just be because I live in it where I you know, I like drawing things that, that really don't exist anymore or they exist in sort of very specific like places and and um but yeah I, I i don't know i don't have that oh it was because i read this or i saw this when i was a kid and that's what i latched. I, I honestly i don't know wow. but i love it I, and i'll probably i'll probably never get out of it because it's just it's what i get up you know even when i'm sketching it's what i sketch so it's it's not it's just what really excites me in terms of when i'm creating characters and looks and worlds and everything else it's just this is where i go yeah it feels it feels like uh the modern day mignola verse if you will that um that the, the doom that came to gotham just fits right into it it just uh just the, the aesthetics of it, the the era, uh, the wacky Rob, all of it just seems to just fit in the Mignola verse. <laughs> I know he can't cross pollinate, but that would just be cool uh, <laughs> to see them in there. <laughs> you know, the, well, and what's interesting because like what I love about Mike is is that when he writes his stories, um, even though Hellboy, like he jumps all over the place in 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 terms of of time with the character, but he kind of does the same. Like I, I think that he and I draw a lot from the same well of inspiration, and but he does it. He does the same thing where you where you don't you can't just pinpoint exactly where a character is in yeah. time looking at his pages. You know, it's not like someone's holding an iPhone and and driving a brand new Tesla, and you're like, oh, it's clearly it's 2000, you know, 18, <laughs> and and you just it, he he has that timeless quality to his work. I think I think I mine is probably even more specifically um, pushed to a certain area era where his is a, a, a little more abstract, but he he's a master at it too. Where you, you know that it's sort of taking time, you know, taking place around now anyways but you can't really tell and and i love that i love that about his stuff yeah nice hey i have a random question this is from a listener uh named ruben who listens to the podcast he says uh in regards to your movie making and we'll get that into that in a second but i thought i'd just randomly throw it at you ruben asks uh do you find that moving forward in the area of horror that you um want to compromise more with possession that happens a lot in horror this again I'm it's lost on me because I don't follow a lot of horror um, but uh, do you find that you compromise uh, more in the area of the latest trending in horrors that is a, a very possession based or do you feel like uh, you want to do your own thing which is more into the monster aspect of the horror genre that is from Ruben <laughs> well there's a reason i've only directed there's only there's a reason i've only directed one movie so far <laughs> <laughs> and that is yeah because i had sort of a very specific idea of of what i wanted to do and making movies is really really hard yeah <laughs> you know it's hard to get one fast and get one going and even when when that does happen it's just really really hard to to make a movie and so when you're working on a project and thankfully, you know, like I could go back to comics and, uh, um, you know, make a living there when movies wasn't really working. Uh, so I, you know, I could be a little bit more, more picky, but for 
The Dark was released. Um, I did well enough where I was I was I was being pursued for other things, and I was pursuing other things. And what was being sent to me though is that's when the found footage horror movies were really in fashion, and so that's all I was getting. Mm-hmm. And I'll be super honest with you, I hate that genre of movies. <laughs> like I've seen maybe two found footage movies that I think actually work, and I think the rest are just terrible. And I don't offend anyone that loves them or has made one. It You are so pigeonholed into a conceit that holds you back, back from being a really engaging and interesting story because you have to keep justifying the presence of a camera. Yeah. And it's just it's just so bad to me. <laughs> and a lot of scripts that I was getting, for instance, uh, you know, like I said, it was popular. So they were just – I was just getting like a horror script – that they might have done a bit of tweaking on to say and suggest that it's a found footage movie. And so by page three, scenes are taking place and you're just like, how do I justify a camera's existence here? Like you just yeah. can't. And so, yeah, like I, there was a couple things that came close that didn't work and kind of fell away. And, and, but I, I did have, and like there's some scripts that I've written, you know, where going and, and uh you know for one reason or another it just didn't happen like i said it's really difficult to secure financing for films and so i just i battled that for a while until i just couldn't do it anymore and and you know financially and that's why you know i came back to comics and and then of course with comics you're afforded every level of freedom that you're not really allowed you right. know or given in in movies so, I mean, I love movies. I and I'm actually working on, uh, going to be hopefully working on a script this year for something really small. It's kind of a weird supernatural. Once again, it's kind of a weird monstery guy in it, and cool. and um, so I'm excited about that. But you know, we're and we're trying to do it in a different way so that there isn't. I'm not having to get notes from you know ten you know ten executives, and yeah. I'm just sort of. De- people and keep it on a smaller scale and and in the meantime you know i'll just i'll keep creating comics and so it's it's kind of a good fit and hopefully it works and you know maybe it will and maybe it won't but yeah i definitely had a specific idea of what i wanted to do after don't be afraid of the dark and it just you know the kind of stuff i wanted to do is, isn't what they were making i actually had a script that I wrote before Don't Be Afraid of the Dark happened, and it's a sort of family-friendly sci-fi fantasy movie that um, I had, we were trying to to get financed. And so we went back to that after Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. We thought, well, you know, maybe with me, a movie, it might be a little easier to get set up and, but we just kept hitting the same roadblocks of, well, aren't you a horror guy? And we don't really make movies like this. No one's really making movies like this. And so unfortunately it didn't happen. But um, yeah, it's there's a lot more leeway in comics and than in, in, in movies, uh, unfortunately. And so to answer – sorry, was it Ruben? Ruben. No. Was it Ruben? Mm-hmm. That's the – Ruben? Yep. To answer Ruben's question – no, I do not feel beholden to, <laughs> to to sticking with sort of what's popular and what's not popular, um, you know, and, and, and just being very happy creating comics and hopefully getting another movie going at some point. Nice. Well, thank you. There you go, Ruben. Hope you like that. 
Hope that answers your question. And a long-winded, uh, long-winded response. It's <laughs> <laughs> good. I'd rather have it than like you know four words or something. <laughs> Where you go from there? Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> no, I'll stay with what I like to do, and then that's it. <laughs> but no, <laughs> thank it. you. I appreciate the more thought out the answer. answer. Is no. <laughs> yeah, no, negative. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's uh, go a little into uh, the movie part. We'll take a just a quick break on the comic side of things, but. Uh, your short Latchkey's Lament. I I really thoroughly enjoyed this. You made it around 2007, right? It was around that time, if I remember. Well, that's when it came out. I, I it took five years to finish, so I started making it in the early 2000s. So wow, and this thing surprisingly, I mean aesthetically, it looked so interesting. The location you shot in was that. I mean, I'm just I, I'm guessing it's in some European country that makes tools or something <laughs> the it was, location it was, was actually awesome. vancouver oh, all right <laughs> it was vancouver and it wasn't far from where actually where i ended up living a number of years later the, unfortunately the huh. building was torn down to build condos but yeah it was um oh and i'm blanking on the name because i haven't thought of the name in many a year uh but all those forms essentially what it was 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 like a foundry and so all those things that you see in the shelves are the wooden forms that they would then make molds out of to then pour, you know, and make oh, out of metal. And they're like fittings and that, and that kind of thing. Yeah. So um, industrial something. Anyways, but yeah, it was this fantastic, fantastic old building. And we shot the whole thing there, um, shot it over a few days. And uh, uh, yeah, just uh, like it, it was crazy because <laughs> it was like pools of oil that were soaking from the ground and and that kind of thing it looked like a uh, giant like endable like <laughs> yes it had like a just a, a like you needed yeah. a tetanus shot every 12 steps is what it looked <laughs> you, <know. laughs> you could definitely smell the mold <laughs> oh wow but i got to tell beautiful. Folks, i loved it it, it looks so cool and i just want to tell folks about you got to seek this out it's only on youtube right now uh but uh troy's going to work on that maybe in a different form later uh, it's called Lashkey's Lament. It's a short film, maybe seventeen minutes, eighteen minutes, and then you wrote sixteen. Yeah, it's just, it's just over seventeen. Yeah, it's just over seventeen. Yeah. And you got this main odd character with like this this steam sm- uh, stack of smoke coming out the top of his head. He looks like a cross between like Hellraiser and and like the Penguin from the from you know from <laughs> that's what it kind of reminds me of, and just this crackly skin of Hellraiser. But he ultimately uh, there's these these magical keys that are that are that he has to sort of ingest you know he's like this monster that has to eat the keys for the little magic to get their magic essence i guess if you will (laughs) yeah i always i always i always refer to him as a mechanical vampire and and the whole the whole idea came about um you know because when people lose their keys and they have no idea where they where they go and it's so (laughs) This, this, that's sort of the conceit of it is, is like this is what happens when you lose your keys <laughs> is that this mechanical like that your keys are actually alive and this mechanical vampire comes along and he steals them and he tries to eat them <laughs> and so that's where it kind of went and then there's a bit of a rescue and a, there's a romance story in there and and um but for me latchkeys when i I'd sort of hit the wall at that point with comics in at that time. And it was, it was a struggle for me to continue and I wasn't really finding, you know, the kind of stories I wanted to tell and movies had always never left 
the back of my head and they were always there. And so I needed to try and, and, and make something to see if that's in fact what I was supposed to do. And that's how Latchkey's Lament came along was like, well, I gotta put my money where my mouth is. I either make something and find out or just shut up and never mention movies again. And so, yeah, then started this very long, long process of, of making this, this 17 minute short. And it was, um, mostly self-financed Phoenix pictures came along at the end and, and flipped a few thousand dollars to help really finish it off, which was amazing, but mostly, and, and this is my, my joke was that it was financed by the bank of Troy. And, <laughs> and that's why it, it took so long is because, <laughs> you know, we shot it and there was, there's like a hundred effect shots in it. And so yeah. I'd have to stop work, work some more to be able to make the money to then, pay for some more shots to get done. And so it's a very long process, but uh, ultimately very rewarding. I, I actually watched it again not too long ago. My my girlfriend's friend was visiting us and she wanted to see it, so we showed it to her. And, and um, yeah, it was fun. I mean, there's, there's some things that make me kind of squirm now where I'm like, ooh, I would have done something different there. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's always a learning process with with every creative endeavor. But uh, but ultimately, that's what got me Don't Be Afraid of the Dark was Guillermo saw that. And, and that's, uh, you know, why I was offered Don't Be Afraid of the Dark was from that. I'm assuming that Latchkey's Lament was like the most expensive resume ever. <laughs> it looks so... For <laughs> me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it looked so like the, the production quality of it was so high that the, again, cinematography, the look, uh, your, did you edit it? Did you, I have a friend of mine that's in editing and, uh, he had that question. Did you edit it yourself? Did you do the post yourself? No, no, I worked, I worked with, I worked with some editors. I was very lucky that too, at that time that doing a short film in Vancouver, um, and I don't know how it is now cause I haven't tried in, you know, over a decade, but, uh, that getting people to crew up. Uh, you could get people to volunteer or, or that would work for, you know, not a lot of money. And that that was a massive uh, help, you know, and a massive reason why the, the short got finished. But, um, yeah, no, I worked with some really, nice. really wonderful people. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, like everybody's, you know, it's, it's always funny when you see the credits after, you know, you look at – you watch a 17-minute short and you go, wow, like it takes a lot of people to, to make to make. <laughs> So, yeah, I was, I was, but I worked with some really, really great collaborative collaborators as well on it. So I was very lucky in that regard. Yeah, people, check it out. Latchkey's Lament, uh, done by Troy Nixie. It's, it's, it's a lovely just piece of art and so interesting to look at. And it just, I feel rusty. I feel like my hands have rust on them <laughs> by the time I'm done with it this. Definitely that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and just, just one, like one last thing about it was that like when I wanted to make a movie it was really important for me to not try and guess what was going to be popular at the time when it came out i just i needed to truly make something that represented me and the kind of stories i wanted to tell otherwise it was a pointless endeavor and so i i do feel very confident that i did that i think that if you read my comics and if you watch Latchkey's Lament, it's it. There's a sense that it's like, oh yeah, these could almost exist in the same universe. Like, like it, I think yeah. that they, it has the same visual sensibilities for sure. Anyway, so yeah, that would be uh, cool to cross those over sometime in the future. It seems like that <laughs> <laughs> would be fantastic. Well, it's interesting that. So let's. 
talk about your film that you directed. It's called Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. Uh, it came out in August of 2011. And uh, you have the directing credit. Guillermo del Toro and Matthew Robbins have the screenplay credit. And yeah. so uh, I'm in the middle of watching this, and I'm really enjoying it. If I can give it a ringing endorsement really quick, I, I'm not a huge fan of horror as well. I wouldn't call it in your traditional sense horror. Don't Be Afraid of the Dark has that suspenseful drama sci-fi uh kids curiosity uh that kills the cat in this you know strange beautiful home by the way i love the setting where is that where is the home where is that at well the exterior was well we shot it in australia and so the ex the exterior of the home was actually home but we put a a facing on the front of it so if you're actually going and looking for that house you'll never find it because that doesn't exist ah. so we put a, a basically a false front on the front of the house but at, we were very lucky because all the exteriors of the house we shot on those grounds we just got really lucky wow. and found this really amazing place yeah it was um uh and it was funny because it was owned by a guy who actually didn't live there. It was sort of his – what he called his his playhouse. It's where he, he jokingly would say that it's where his wife would send him when she got annoyed with him. Oh, <laughs> it's, so, his, it's his time out eccentric, house. Ex- <laughs> yeah, basically. It's an eccentric millionaire who told wow. who told not, a, not, so, not such appropriate jokes in mixed company. Um, <laughs> and uh, and then the, the interior of the house was all a build. It was all a set and we shot that in Melbourne. Wow. Uh, it all felt so grounded in reality. I never felt at any moment like it's over CG'd. It's uh it's you know, it's in a inside of a you know, a warehouse, it's a set. It just all seemed so grounded in a real crunchy, realistic, you know, stinky environment. I could all I I just I you you're this movie checked off so many boxes for me, uh, in, in the area of, of movies from the cinematography was gorgeous, the editing, the sound I love the sort of uh, I don't want to spoil it for in case anyone didn't see it, but uh, you know the uh, the otherworldly effect of the, the sound of the of the things that's happening. It's all I want to say. <laughs> but uh, so many aspects you did you did wonderfully <laughs> wonderfully right on this movie. I, I have to commend you and p- please take that in highest regard from a guy that is not all into into necessarily the horror genre. But it's hard to even pinpoint it as a horror movie per se. Um, I appreciate it. And- yeah, well, and, and definitely Miramax, and you know, they 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 one hundred percent were marketing it and pushing it as a horror movie. And I mean, it, it's just to fit this, you know, this, this sort of areas that they have in, in movies, to, you know, to market it as a horror movie, other than like it's actually kind of a bit of a dodgical creatures and you know that how do you market that right so it's uh it made sense that they they pursued it as as a horror film and but yeah i went into it really um with the sort of of finding an aesthetic and, and creating a world as i do with comics and i think that that really helped in a lot of ways just in terms of visually seeing things and sort of knowing, uh, you know, I obviously I learned a lot and I didn't know a lot going in, but just that having that background of thinking visually and, and being able to create uh, uh, an environment. And, and the one thing I, I <laughs> that when the, uh, the movie came out, there was a lot of people that was like, well, clearly, um, 
you know, Guillermo had a lot to do with the visual and, and creating the, the world. And, and I take that as a compliment <laughs> because it's like, well, actually it was me working, you know, with an amazing production designer, Roger Ford and his team to create that. And obviously Guillermo was super available and I, you know, you certainly would run things by him and, and ask his, his, for his input. Cause why wouldn't you? It's Guillermo right. del Toro, <laughs> you know, but I worked very hard to sort of create that that aesthetic of that world and it was fun because i kind of did a, a reverse of sort of what you would expect where the interior of the house and, and you know you haven't finished watching it so you know you'll you, you know you can sort of look for this as you continue yeah, that no, no the inside of the house is <laughs> full of yeah no the inside of the house is full of really warm autumnal colors like it's sort of actually supposed to be like a really inviting place. And then all the exteriors, once you get outside, and, and, and that includes the actors' wardrobes, are all very sort of cold blues and grays and blacks. And so as you continue to watch the movie, you'll notice that. And you'll see that in in uh, in Guy Pierce's wardrobe that he um, is is pulling that uh, outside environment into the house where his wardrobe is all grays and, and blues and blacks and Katie's is much more a reflection of the home. And then, you know, by the end of the movie, you see that with Bailey's wardrobe too, that she then sort of starts to reflect Katie's. So like, this is the stuff that, that I was thinking about. Cause it's just, to me, like those sort of subconscious uh, visual cues are, can be really important, you know, oh. and obviously character, above all else but but all that other stuff was really important to me and and uh creating this sense that this home was yes mysterious and and at night was probably a place you didn't want to walk around without a flashlight but at the day you know in the daytime was actually quite a really beautiful home yeah and the lovely garden area around it. yeah the subtle use of even yeah. uh, sally the young girl right i think it was sally um yeah yeah, she, yeah. her pink sweater Right, because you're, she's surrounded in this lush green forest, and she's surrounded by all these these this oak tapestry and and the banisters on the on the stairwell, right? Of all these dark, deep, rich oaks, and then she's just wearing this pink, fluffy coat, you know. And I, I love yeah. that. that well, and that was the, yeah, and that was the thing too, because she was sort of supposed to be the other outsider along with Alex, like she, cause she comes from California to live with her dad. And so I, you know, I, I would have made some changes now looking back to her wardrobe, but yeah, she was supposed to not fit into the house either. And so oh, yeah. having this sort of more flamboyant kind of like brighter wardrobe and, and um, yeah. And, and also I was really lucky cause I mean, I worked with an amazing cast and Bailey Madison, who is is not a little kid anymore. <laughs> you know, she's eighteen now, but at the time she was she was like nine years old and and uh but just a powerhouse. She was just so, so talented and and uh she really helped sell the idea of this sort of little girl who's doesn't really fit in anywhere. You know, she doesn't fit in with her dad, she didn't fit in with her mom and and so she gets drawn in by these very creepy little things. Did in picking Bailey, did you have any part to do with the casting? Because I thought the same thing when I saw oh, yeah. her from ten oh, seconds yeah. in. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great! Was there yeah. any others uh, that, I, if I remember, I think you said somewhere Ariel Winter was one being considered for that character of Modern Family. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was Ariel um, and Bailey at the very end, and it's it's interesting because Bailey came in very eleventh hour in in, in all of it, and. Um, so I was living in Vancouver at the time, but I was going 
a lot to LA to to do casting and also um, the casting director. There's this there's this uh, website the casting directors have where they can upload auditions and so I I would watch auditions at home in Vancouver and then we would kind of narrow it down and then I would go down and we'd audition the ones we had narrowed down um, in person and Ariel was fantastic and I think would have done a, a great job. And then, but then along came Bailey and she had just finished a movie called brothers with, uh, um, Jake Gyllenhaal and Natalie Portman. And so the producer on the movie, had met Natalie Portman about something else and about another project and, and, uh, Mark Johnson, the producer just mentioned to her what he was working on. She's like, Oh my God, I just worked with this little girl in the guy Madison and you have to meet her. And (laughs) so we saw some clips and we brought her in and she just absolutely like it was, she just knocked it out of the park. It was like, even after the first audition with her, I'm like, yep, it's her. They're like, well, (laughs) come on, let's like, let's think about this. I'm like, nope, it's her. (laughs) And and we uh, then did a, um, Katie was great because we we did sort of a, a little test with both her and and Ariel, um, that being Bailey and yeah I mean and, and if you look at it and one was once again because you're not done that they there is there is sort of a resemblance between the between them between oh, totally. Katie and, and Bailey yeah I'm all, and that so Siri? that was sort of ha- <laughs> that was a happy accident <laughs> that was yeah. a really happy accident. They have the yeah. same sort of profile, you know, and yeah. and and eyebrow area. I was like, man, is that Siri? Is that, that's too young. She's too old for Siri. The Siri didn't exist, yeah. or whatever the kids. No, name is. Siri existed. <laughs> Siri, Siri existed, and she sat beside me sometimes. It oh, was really? really funny. So she was very yeah. little. Huh? She's like very young. <laughs> yeah, she is hilarious though. But she had she had already had so much so much experience on set. She was a professional. She was a, she was a pro at knowing when to be quiet and when it was okay to talk. It was pretty funny. <laughs> wow. Oh, my, my, by the way, my son's gonna love this. He does our spinoff podcast uh, called Sunspot Scene. It's really about movies and TV shows. I'll just warn you now. He'll he'll probably want to have you on the podcast as well. And he's super excited that I was talking to you. Oh, talk um, about that. <laughs> but he mentioned uh, too that the his little uh, his name is Justin. And he mentioned about the casting um, that uh, he, he was like, hey, dad, can you relate to Katie Holmes's awkwardness there where she's trying? She's the stepmom. You know, she's the, uh, you know, the yeah. other woman. And uh, and I was uh, I'm, I'm that I was a step. I'm a stepdad as well. And he's like, can you relate to her character there? Did she did she seem to pull it off as far as the the awkwardness and the pain uh, trying to sort of be the friend. And I was like, yes, Katie Holmes pulled that off. You could see the sort of, it's breaking her heart, you know, in the early parts of trying to deal with Sally. Yeah. And uh, so hats off my friend. I mean, I mean, if you had any part to do with Katie Holmes's casting there, I think it's uh, one of her best movies. Honestly, I haven't seen a ton of stuff. Uh, she's just, I, she's I think a lot she did a fantastic job. Yeah. Yeah. So hats yeah. off. It, it was like, it was, it was great because we were going out to a few people in, I had brought her up in conversation and, 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 um, so it was just a matter of, and she just responded really well to the material. And I think that that was a big part of it. It wasn't like, Oh, I've always wanted to be, you know, in a horror movie. It was more about the relationship with, with character and Sally that she really connected with. And, and I, I mean, my hat's off to Katie. I mean, she's, she's a mom. I mean, she totally knows how to connect Mm -hmm. to, to young people. So to be able to, you know, move beyond this natural instinct she has to be able to 
have that that moment with Sally was incredible. Like she just, and it, like she was great offset and everything. Like I, I, I was so lucky because I, I hear horror stories about, you know, directors working with actors and I, I did not have that at all. And, and, um, <laughs> just toward the end, I, my, one of the producers told me that they're like, you know, you're really lucky. <laughs> and I go, what do you mean? And it's like, you didn't have any issues with, with anyone you were really lucky and i was like well yeah i know wow that's awesome <laughs> but um the stars yeah, were aligned she was, she was amazing <laughs> they were they were and it was it's was wonderful because i think that the three of them worked really well together too like i think that it felt very natural and you know that 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 guy was sort of this disconnected father and 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 uh katie seeing that and at first not feeling comfortable stepping in there because it's not really her place, but then filling that void that, that guy's character, you know, was sort of refused to do until obviously to the very, very end. But, and, you know, to the point where, where she's really putting herself on the line. And so, yeah, like it was just, I think it worked really, really, really well. It was just for me, like I said, very relatable in her character in that, you know, I'm a stepdad too. And how she, you know, you're, you're either undercompensating, overcompensating. You're never quite, she has that, that, that tenderness to her where she's a, a loving, caring, you know, human being. And yet she, she oversteps sometimes and then it, she's too far away sometimes. Mm-hmm. So it just seemed that that aspect of it really works uh, for me in a personal level. So I thought that was very cool. <laughs> well, that's great. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that it, that, that it did. I, I think that everyone did a really tremendous job. So it's nice to hear that. It's nice to hear that, that, you know what she was trying to like as i thought she did but you know i I mean i'm not a step parent so it's nice to hear that that does resonate with who is it did right from the get-go so folks as we as we wrap up that part go see troy nixie's movie don't be afraid of the dark uh i found it just on itunes you can rent it or purchase it on itunes for a very reasonable price uh we get residuals for that still Does, does that when you buy it on itunes are you you get oh no, I don't get. I mean, well, <laughs> no. It, it, I the only residuals I am actually getting for Don't Be Afraid of the Dark is uh, anything where where a foreign market is picking it up. Oh, okay. So every every once in a while, I'll get a very small check from the DGA, even though I'm not a member of the DGA. But it all sort of goes to them. And but no, like um, people should still buy it from iTunes. Yes. But no, I don't. I don't get. I don't get any residuals. Yeah, you don't really start seeing residuals. Uh, for a film um, until you have until you have a few under your belt. I see. Well, foreign markets, if you're listening. Uh... <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I, it was funny. I... It's a lot of TV. Like it's, it's, it's when TV channels buy it. So then, then I would get – I do – I don't know why, but I am getting – I get a little bit of that. So. Nice. Well, I want yes. you to. I want so to if support. it shows up, if it shows up in Germany on TV, I probably got a hundred bucks All for right. that. So okay. <laughs> <laughs> something <laughs> you got to line your pockets. It's a good piece of work. Go see it, folks. Go see. Don't fray, Don't be afraid of the dark. Go check it out. So let's jump back into comics really fast, if you don't mind. I want to talk a little bit about your dark horse work. Sure. I just grabbed the Black Sinister, and you're partnered up there with it with mm. a dude that I love in comics. Um, Care Kyle Andrews. Is that how he says his first name? Because I know you guys are Car- friends. Kari. It's Kari. Kari. Yeah, One day Kari. I'll yeah, get it right. Yeah. Kari. And I love the comic book they created called Renato Jones. But the two of you partner together in the Black oh, yeah. Sinister. Uh, it's it's one I purchased. Uh, I haven't read it yet. But 
Tell me a gist of it. What's the gist of Black Sinister? And that is your creator-owned work, right? You did that from scratch. Yes, we did. Yeah, and so so Kari's my best friend. Just so I'm just putting it out there. So like when I start oh. talking about how awesome he is, you know, <laughs> you know, it comes with a, a huge heaping of bias. But All right. so yeah, we've known each other for over 20 years. But I mean, he's insanely talented, and so we had been talking about working together for years and years and years, and so. I had drawn this character who ended up being the Black Sinister, and and I sent it to him and was like, "Hey, do you want to team up on this?" And it was it was when I was starting to really get back into comics, and so I was really happy to collaborate with someone else. Just really sort of you know work on story together, but then he went and wrote it, and I could just focus on getting my drawing chops back. And so how I pitched it to him was, "Okay, this guy." is like batman um and he is like he's the the protector of of the city you know the self-appointed protector of the city but he's really horrible at it and everyone (laughs) hates him oh okay and so that i I love the premise that was (laughs) my pitch to him yeah and so there's a lot it's it's definitely satire and i i had thought of it as a much smaller kind of story i had this this one scene in particular and i said this is sort of what i think of of him like this is sort of how it works and he's like okay and yeah so we pitched it to dark horse to mike richardson and he went for it we had actually pitched it as a mini series first through my old editor there but um and he said well you know, we can't give you four issues, but Mike really likes it. Um, you know, you want to do it in Dark Horse Presents. So we said, yeah, sure. So, we, you know, we had to cut it way down um, by about by about half. But, uh, you know, I still think it works. And I think it's a lot of fun. And it, it, it was sort of the first project where I really started feeling like I knew what I wanted to do again and, and was getting my drawing feet under me again and, and, and having a lot of fun and, and um, yeah. And I think that it turned out really, really well. I think it's a nice little self-contained story and there's room for more if it, if it, if it ever happens or not, I don't know, but, um, and, but it just was me finding that aesthetic that I love to draw again and, and being really wacky and crazy. And, and it's just a really fun, weird story. I'm like people, you know like much like vinegar teeth people just like this is just really crazy and it's like yeah you're right it is (laughs) yes and again you live in that that lovecraftian world the uh and it again that rust palette here of coloring for black sinister i just love that the orange the browns the topes the you know the light yellows all of it in just this you know earthy rusty feel i love it yeah and and it's funny because Dave McCaig, who uh, who colored, who Kari and I also know known for twenty years. Um, he's from Vancouver originally too. Well, Winnipeg and then Vancouver. But um, yeah, like I I have this palette that I really like, and I don't really like cold colors. I definitely think my stuff works better in, in a warmer in a warmer palette, and so. Um, I, you know, I try to steer colorists in that direction and, and, you know, with the black sinister, I had a very clear idea of how, you know, his color scheme of what I wanted him to work with. And then Dave just sort of built it out from that. And also knowing me for so long and knowing what, you know, what I like and, and, um, and what I don't. So, but, uh, yeah. And he, he 
that does he did some really wacky over the top stuff in it too which i think only really adds to the to the whole thing nice i can see your influence of you know in your vision it's it's like how important color is i mean even just grounds looking at your lobster johnson work and it's just i i can tell you you have those conversations with colorists right to really kind of complete your vision uh in in the area of your color palette yeah I definitely have a very specific idea. And it's funny because with Dave Stewart, I don't. I have like sort of an initial conversation with him. Uh But for one, he he really likes to work in those palettes anyway. And he's colored enough of my stuff that he knows what I like. And the reality is Dave Stewart's a genius. Yes. So I mean – like it's, it's funny. So when when Jenny Finn was coming out, like there was very few notes to give him back, and like and my notes were sort of like, oh, um, you know, the alley's sort of supposed to be darker here. Can you turn the lights off in the windows? Like those are the notes I give him. So more storytelling notes than anything oh, color wow. specific. And but anything Dave has, has ever colored of mine, I've I've been absolutely thrilled with, over the moon with, and like he just nails it every time i mean the guy's a master like i love the thanks for leading into jenny finn that's where i was going next um a side note when i when i have you ever i love when a comic book artist like you inspires me to the point where i have to consume everything you've done (laughs) and i did that with with, (laughs) even even crossing over to the movies have you ever had that experience like because you've read a lot of comics as as i have that you found that and you're like, oh gosh, I love this artist. I must now consume it all. Have you ever done that? I find myself doing. Oh, that. absolutely. Oh, happens all the time. I I still will find new artists and and then I just want to track it all down. And reading a lot of European creators stuff of late, and that's not quite as easy to track down as right. as uh, as American creators. But um, there's a guy whose stuff I really like now. Uh, who goes by the moniker? Um, I don't know if it's if it's pronounced Bluch or Blutch, B L U T C H. Whose whose work I I love, and he's sort of very heavy brush style, much sort of looser and expressionistic. But I I, I love it. I love it. And I wrote it down. So I just yeah. And there's 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 just all these amazing, wonderful creators out there. And and it's great. There's just so many of them now. And and because when I took that break from comics, I wasn't really following comics anymore. And mm-hmm. so to be able to when I came back, there's all this huge surge of new creators in comics, and it was just it was just a feast of visual amazingness. And so it was great to 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 really start picking up stuff again and and uh, and reading stuff and. But yeah, there's there's yeah living a in a whole new world, right? Living in a whole different world of yeah. comics, and it really changed on you, I imagine. It did because like there's so much online presence now that mm-hmm. wasn't really there when uh, definitely well, it wasn't there when I started because it didn't exist. But um, you know, when I left, there wasn't even really that strong of a presence, and and now there's a lot of creators who are just just working almost exclusively online, you know, and they've been they've managed to parlay their creations into a career like they make enough to be able to do it and that's absolutely amazing and fantastic and i'm so happy for them and you know just be able to to access stuff like i mean i still love holding comics i still love books and will always prefer that but 
if, if stuff isn't in print, then at least you're getting it online. <laughs> yeah, the wait is long. And uh, so going yeah, back to Jenny yeah. Finn. So Jenny Finn was originally released in 2011 through through Boom Studios, and it was called Jenny no, Finn: go, The Doom way, Messiah. Way, way, way back. No, right? it was actually about originally 1999. Oh, geez, that the far first, back? yeah, the first two issues came out from Oni Press, and so we didn't end up finishing it there. Wow. Um, through you know a myriad of reasons, I take full responsibility for for it not finishing there. And then yeah, later um, Ross approached me from from Boom and wanted to finish it. And so I had drawn about half the third issue of before it didn't happen. So the pencils were done. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, but unfortunately I didn't draw like that anymore. So it was a little strange to go back and try to make it work. And I really struggled with it. And, and once again, not making any excuses, I, I kind of dropped the ball. Um, I was going through some personal stuff at the time and it just didn't work out for me to finish the fourth issue. I just, I was really, really struggling. And that, that was sort of, of, at the end of like where um, I was was working on comics and mm-hmm. and so thankfully Farrell Del Rimple came along and absolutely saved my bacon and did an incredible job of the fourth issue and uh, um, and yeah so then it came out from Boom and I think it, it definitely was before 2011 because I wasn't I wasn't doing it then I'm terrible with dates but that's when the <laughs> That's what I saw. That's why I, I mentioned. I, that's why I mentioned that date because yeah, it was on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because uh, maybe that maybe been another printing of it or something. Because I mean, that's when the movie was coming out, and I hadn't drawn comics in a few years at that point. So, um, yeah, I'm terrible with dates, but yeah, and then it, it just it just and then bounced to, how to go bouncing to Dark Horse, then colored back in November of last year. So how did that? go from then boom to being colored re-released again. I mean, that's great. They keep printing it. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the intention from the very beginning, even at Oni was that, uh, it always was going to be collected in color. And then unfortunately it just, it just didn't end up that way. And so it just kind of fell apart at Oni. And, and that was always the goal was, was, to, was to finally see this thing in color. And, and what my glorious, glorious color it is, my friend. Dave Stewart exactly, yes. nailed it. My goodness. It's amazing. Yeah. And so my relationship had, had continued to grow at Dark Horse. And so I just brought it up to my editor and said, hey, you know, it's it's not being published by Boom. It wasn't available uh, uh, at Boom at that point. And I said, you know, do you guys want to do this? And, you know, would you want to do it in color? And just sort of threw it out there. And and um, thankfully, yeah, they, they wanted to do it. So it was Sweet. fantastic to finally see it, you know, like 18, 19 years after <laughs> the fact. In the way that it was intended to be in color, and, and of course we would have gone after Dave at that time, hopefully to color it, you know. But um, yeah, so I'm really, really happy with how it turned out, and I think that the color really helps tie tie the first three issues that I did 
you know, together with the fourth issue. And, you know, we, I've just seen the, the guts of the, the trade, you know, we're putting out a nice hard cover of, of the whole thing that's going to come out, I think this summer. And, um, yeah, and it just, it's just wonderful. Yeah. It's just, it's nice. It'll be nice to see it all in color and under one cover and, and, um, you know, just have it out there in, in the library and, you know, and out there at bookstores and everything for, for people to pick up. So. Yes, uh, folks, uh, ringing endorsement here from Sunspots Comics. Go get Jenny Finn <laughs> in full glorious color by Dave Stewart. Art by Troy here, Troy Nixie, and also co-written by you and Mike Mignola. Uh, it lives in the Mignola-verse. It's so creepy, so twisted. Uh, tentacles up the wazoo that you love. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I like the strange, weird sort of breakout of that aquatic, std that's going along uh centered around <laughs> <Yeah>. this myster- <laughs> this mysterious character jenny finn who uh i hope we see more of as i don't want to spoil uh will we see more of jenny finn by chance or is that something that's been so long ago no, no yeah i think it's, it's just kind of it, it just because I, I love some stories yeah that just exist as they are and they don't need any more and and uh i mean i don't even know even if Mike and I were really Mike and I were excited about it, even though when, when either of us would have time to do it. So, <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it's I mean, I certainly down the the road would love to collaborate with Mike again. Um, but um, yeah, I, I think I think Jenny Finn is just that those four issues, those four wonderfully creepy issues, and yes. and uh, it's a nice standalone kind of bit of strangeness. Yes, tentacles, uh, aquatic STD, and a strange little mysterious girl. That's a, there's the gist, folks. Go read <laughs> Jenny Finn. <laughs> and then uh, going into your latest work is kind of where I wanted to wrap up. We can talk about Vinegar Teeth. And like I said, uh, folks and listeners, go back a couple of podcasts. I think it's three podcasts to go where I talk about the the premiere issue of Vinegar Teeth, issue number one. Great time to jump on. We're only on issue number two, which came out last Wednesday. Uh, which is another one that yes. was fantastic. So this again, um, in the mind of you here, I love that uh, it's like uh, Lovecraftian again, but it meets this buddy cop story. And, yeah. uh, and it's this uh, sort of walking bag of gelatinous tentacles, kind of like a, he's just like an, in, an intestine monster that's walking around. <laughs> and his uh, curmudgeon angry, uh, just bothered kind of by everything, short-tempered, quick to yell at you, Artie Buckle, which I love that character. Great design, great look. And uh, so I've, I'm giving it a ringing endorsement. What can you – give me an inside scoop on Vinegar Teeth as to some of, say, where this came from in your mind and how you got to this <laughs> strange, hilarious well, and it's fun- story. <laughs> and it's, it's funny because um... – I, I wrote an essay that that'll appear in the in the trade when when the trade comes out and it really started with a joke a joke that I thought was hilarious and so if something I think is hilarious that's that's good enough for me no one else has to think it's hilarious as long as I think it's hilarious and <laughs> yes. so the first the first incarnation of vinegar teeth actually appeared in 2006 I did a four-page vinegar tea story that appeared in. Um, are you familiar with the sort of the comic collective Meat House? Yes. Yeah. So they put out a, uh, I think, an annual. Um, yeah, like an anthology. Uh, 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 yeah, anthology book. Yeah. So it appeared in the the number eight issue of that. This four four-page story, and it all centered around 
on this, oh, this I gotta joke. go put that down now. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> it, it, if you don't find it, it will. The four-page story will be appearing in the trade, so oh, it definitely yes. will be in there. So yeah, and so the idea was um, that Artie, the cop, is pursuing this this criminal. The criminal almost escapes, um, and then he starts screaming. He's, he escapes down this vent hole. He starts screaming. Artie looks down the hole, and this criminal this crook is being attacked by this gloop of tentacly stuff <laughs> and Artie says quick man give me your hand and then the next panel is Artie looking up as the hand is being spit out you know no longer connected to the rest of the criminal oh, out of nice. the hole and so that was my, that was the joke that I thought was hilarious and that's all I needed <laughs> to build the four page story on and then the, like and then the big reveal at the end of it is that the monster and the cop are working together and and Artie is giving him shit for you know having eaten another criminal and the guy's like I can't help myself you know and so <laughs> When Great. I started talking to Dark Horse about longer stories, uh, I had an idea for Vinegar Teeth for you know to be able to do as a miniseries, and and Damon Gentry and I had done a short story in Creepy Magazine, okay, and uh, for Dark Horse, and so I pitched a couple things. I pitched Trout and I pitched Vinegar Teeth, and thankfully Dark Horse wanted to do both of them, and so I talked to Damon but collaborating collaborating on it and he was all for it and we just started to talk about what this was like of the idea and and so honestly we decided very early on that it just had to be really funny to us and that was okay like we didn't we weren't going to try and guess what people liked or what they wanted it's just if it made us pardon me if it made us laugh then then we were on the right track and the goal of Vinegar Teeth was to be just as ridiculous and absurd and silly as we could be, and but still try to build on a relationship between these two really polar opposite characters. I mean, even if Vinegar Teeth was a human, you know, with the same personality, Artie would not get along with him at all. Yeah. And uh, so that's kind of where it started to grow from, and and you know, building the story and. So we really wanted to make fun of a lot of sort of comic and movie tropes and sure. and just really, you know, a lot of wink, you know, you know, a lot of winking into the camera in uh-huh. terms of what this stuff was and 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 you know, nods to other stories and that kind of thing and and I think that it even starts to build more as the third and the fourth issue come out in terms of of that kind of thing and and but still the whole point was to try and build a relationship between these two people who should have no relationship. And right. so there was a lot of jokes like you said, t- you know, we had talked earlier before everything that, that, um, you know, this notion that vinegar teeth is walking around and no one seems to be very upset that this horrible monster is in their midst. And, <laughs> yes. and there's a lot of like a lot of what, cause conceit is always a thing in any story. And so it's sort of like taking conceit to a ridiculous level <laughs> and, so this notion that simply because this monster, this horrible monster ate a really bad guy and the mayor said that as a result of that, he was good enough, which is so stupid that he could then be, become a police officer, which yeah. is, you know, the whole point of this thing was like, okay, 
like it was like how ridiculous can we make this? It's like we can make this really ridiculous, and it's because it's like, well, how does he become a cop? And he goes in the stupidest way possible, and just because the mayor endorses him and then makes him a police officer, that a city would then just be totally fine with him. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yep. it's it's so. It's I so, love that aspect so, of it. You, you just yeah, you had to throw so reality silly. out the window, and it just it, it look it just happens. That's the way it is, and that's a great gag, man. Yep. You nailed it. <laughs> yeah and it's it's funny because it's just like we were we were we were just laughing like we would we would skype because you know when i was living in vancouver and he and and at the time and damon's in seattle and so we would just skype about story ideas and and we would just like it, we would just be laughing through the whole thing like some stuff like we we even pulled back on like so we went so far sometimes it's like <laughs> well i think maybe that's a bit too far we can't do that but um yeah, and I think that there's there's some more really great visual gags coming up. In, oh, in, in I gotta say, the, last... the, the giant hats, like uh, you should just yeah. in in vinegar teeth, you know, whatever. The you should just have one panel where you where you quadruple the size of everyone's hat in one page, <laughs> and just don't even well, explain hat... it. <laughs> yeah, well, Artie's hat does kind of keep. I do, I do notice, like looking back from the first issue to the fourth issue, that his hat does seem to keep growing. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> and and that's one of the things. And it was it was just like as because I think you'll notice a bit of a difference as I move along, and and I just I really started to find my feet, uh, you know, after the second issue. And because remember, I'm like, I'm still not that um, far out of, you know, having not been in comics for a while. So yeah. like a lot of this was just new to me again, finding my, my, my confidence again. And, and with, and that's why I also wanted Vinegar Teeth to be really bombastic and absurd. It's like, okay, if I'm going in, I'm, you know, I'm going in whole hog. And so that was really the intent of the project. And so I, I think that the last two issues are, are, are really strong just in, in you know just in terms of storytelling and, and the art and the way that i approach things and and like the pages are just stacked with stuff like there's just like just just more and more stuff i start putting into panels and and but still you know really focusing on this relationship between the two of them you know never really forgetting that and so it just it just turned into like vinegar teeth is hands down the most fun i've ever had creating anything great and so i'm i'm really happy about that and really happy about you know the, what's coming you know down the pike too as a result of me really finding my feet again and and exploring and pushing myself and so yeah like it just keeps getting crazier and crazier and and like the hats for instance just <laughs> is just sort of me creating something that i thought was visually funny but also added to a sense of sort of bewilderment of what this world is and because it's not it doesn't really take place in any specific time it's 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 its own world i mean there's a reason it's not called buffalo or cincinnati or you know any of those sort of um sort of industrial towns back in the the 30s and 40s you know i mean it's called brick city because it's a fantastical setting which means that i can do anything in it and and that was sort of really the point of like the big hats and sort of things that perhaps technologically didn't exist at that time but i do like a sort of rudimentary or or an era era sort of specific version of something and and that's how i like to play with worlds i just like to create them and as long as the characters feel right within that world and, and and with the things that they're using and everything then it's right it's not wrong 
And so I, I do put a lot of effort into that. And so like the big hats is just one of them. Like no one mentions these ridiculously big hats. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's just clearly it was just the fashion at the time. It was big, just big stupid hats, you know? Yes. And, and, then, and, it wasn't, and I think it was funny. I thought it was funny when I started doing it. I just did one sketch where he had a really small hat. And then for whatever reason, I just did a version of him with a really big hat. And I'm like, yeah, everyone's going to wear really big hats. (laughs) I love it, Troy. And I love the lettering you do in this, all of the sound affecting. uh, It's just great from the blort is is a word in splort. Just that you paint such a great visual liquid fun that is 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 easily just understandable and a gag in in within itself and every friggin word bubble it's just i even think sometimes when i'm reading this like as you said uh it's brick city it's its own city it's like a it's like the movie dark city right it just it it's out of mm-hmm. time and exists on some strange asteroid floating through through space um and everything is a bit askew and nobody mentions everything i just I got to tell you, man, I love it. I enjoy it. Um, I'm looking forward to more. And when's the release of uh, 3? When can we expect uh, Vinegar T3? Is it- uh, I think March, March 21st, I think the third one comes out. And uh, I, and the, the fourth one is, I want to say it's the 18th of April. Okay. Somewhere That's around there. All so, right on time and delivered. Yeah. And fourth, yeah. you wrap up the arc. And is there uh, is there a break from there? You're going to go back to it. You're going to, you know, not not spoiling anything, please. But you know, what do you foresee? Well, I, I mean, I certainly have an idea for a sequel, but right. you know, it really depends on if if you know, because there's also the business aspect of it. So it's like, how does it do sure. and trade and that kind of thing? Can we justify another Vinegar Teeth tale? I mean, I'm already working on the next thing anyways which is going to take me you know the next year or so to do so but i mean i love the characters it's sort of really the first time where i've wanted to go back and do more with them and because i really do think that damon and i created this really sort of wonderful dynamic between the two characters and i still think there's a lot left that we could explore with that and um so it's certain i would love to do one whether it happens or not i don't know but uh you know fingers crossed what are you saying, folks that are listening? It's up to us. We gotta we gotta vote with our dollars. That's right, you buy lots of copies. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And hey, that's cool. You got bonus content in the trade when it comes out with the sort of first showing of Vinegar Teeth from the anthology you mentioned. So that's cool. And another another reason to go and buy this when it comes together, collected folks. Vinegar Teeth, go get it through Dark Horse. Yes, yeah, so apologize. Just stepping all over you there, but yeah, we always put. A, I always love to put a lot of extras in the the trades that come out, and there's there's going to be a ton of stuff in this one. So love that. I'm a sucker for bonus material, and and uh, especially when it comes to the look back on early inclinations of something that's created. I love that. So uh, do more of it. Thank you, Troy. <laughs> and and uh, so yeah, and and we're wrapping this thing up. Thank you for. Gosh, it's been like forever. Uh, this has gone on. Thank you for for all the for bearing with me and sticking through it. I really appreciate it. Uh, where can everyone find you? We'll start with that. And uh, what do you got that's coming out that we can kind of lead people towards as well? So where can we find you and what's what's coming? 
Um, probably the easiest place to find me is on Instagram, just under under my name. Um, I'm not I'm I'm not on Facebook anymore these days, but uh, and yeah, so but I do try and post regularly on on Instagram with art, and you know I don't really show pictures of of dogs or food, but I don't mind those, but I don't really <laughs> post those myself. Just lots of art, and um, yeah, the the next two issues of Vinegar Teeth coming out, um, and then there's going to be, of course, the the trade of Jenny. Finn and yes. and and then there'll probably be no actually have a six page uh story coming out um for starburns uh oh. dan Harmon's imprint company they're doing a free comic book day and i did a six page story with Patton oswald that was a lot of fun oh again and that. so that'll be out this summer and yeah and then i'm i'm just getting ready to jump on to the next comic project and and hopefully this year I'll be writing another screenplay for uh, a little a little movie smaller kind of crazy movie sweet well I'll be uh, following and looking and I'm a a fan for life thank you for uh, just the rich tapestry that is your art and your and your creative endeavors and uh, even getting me to like a horror movie which is difficult to do uh, <laughs> <laughs> with, with don't be afraid of the dark um, but go get Vinegar Teeth, folks. Check out Troy Nixie on Instagram and on all of his work. Uh, you can find it on everything. And the reprinting of Jenny Finn is fantastic. Get it in color with Dave Stewart. But uh, thank you, Troy. I so appreciate it. And uh, really, uh, uh, thank you for just uh, the, the lovely joy your comic art brings uh, to my mind, eyeballs, and nerd heart. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, you're very welcome. And thank you. I really enjoyed this. It was a nice chat. Thanks. All right, Troy, you take care. You too. Bye-bye, Chris.